0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Six Forty Toronto.
1: All right, all right, and welcome to the show. Thank you, and so much for uh, for joining us here for the next hour. John Schools here, of course, always, and our good pal Chris Justice, courtesy of Mark Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed. Law firm in the land, you want to reach out and uh, to Chris anytime. We'll give you the, the the number anytime to reach out to Chris and his team, one 821 5900 Again, 1-855-821-5900, and uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca through email. And if it's anything about uh, maybe severance, workplace harassment, constructive dismissal, human rights, anything under this banner, you can reach out to Chris anytime in the crew. They're there to... Uh, answer your questions. That's what they do best. What you need to know about employment agreements, we'll get to that topic here in just a bit. But I know, Chris, you got a couple things to uh, chop your way through when it comes to the, uh, the week that was, pal. What do you got going on?
2: Yeah, good morning. So uh, as you mentioned, as always, a couple things off the top. The, mm-hmm. the first thing I wanted to talk about uh, something more recently in the news that I've been seeing a lot of, which is that there are uh, some economists who are predicting or, or suggesting that a recession may be coming. Of course, this is due in part to the ongoing COVID pandemic. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to sort of explain to the listeners what a recession could mean as far as somebody who loses their job and how that might affect their severance entitlements. Um, So an employee, on the one hand, might assume that during a recession, it could take them longer to find a new job, of course, and that on that basis, they should be given more severance. And then at the same time, their employer may assume that during a recession, you know, with those added financial um, pressures that come along with it, that they may be able to get a bit of sympathy from the courts and maybe provide the employee with less severance. So there's a bit of a conflict there. And uh, as we've discussed on the show before, uh, and assuming there's no contract at play that would maybe limit someone's entitlements. Uh, Those severance entitlements are going to be based on a number of key factors, things like the age of the employee, how long they've been at the company itself, um, what the character of the employment was like. And then lastly, uh, the availability of similar employment. And this is kind of where the recession factor comes into play, this, this idea of the availability of similar employment. And the case law has suggested over the years that where there are a lack of opportunities, um, specifically as a result of a depressed economy, um, that this would typically increase, not decrease the severance that would be awarded to that employee. And this um, <clears throat> excuse me, this line of thinking has been echoed in a lot of decisions through the courts throughout the years where a lot of employees who may otherwise only have received, say three, four, five months are now getting you know four, five, six months. Uh, as a result of, I guess, what could be called a recession bump, or Mm -hmm. more recently, we've been hearing the term COVID bump. So I wanted uh, to sort of set the record straight on that front. And uh, of course, if anyone's in that type of a situation, and again, maybe thinking what they've been received or or received in terms of severance is fair, um, may actually not be fair, even in line with ordinarily how things have been, because again, they might apply for this, uh, or, or be entitled to this COVID bump, so to speak.
1: What's the second thing you want to talk about, Chris?
2: Yeah, the second thing has to do with something just more personal to my own practice. Uh, it's, it's we're kind of switching gears um, into a case that I was involved in that dealt with an employee who was terminated after uh, it had been found that he had possession of some drugs in his truck. Uh, his employer found out, his employer fired him, and that's when I got brought into the fold. And just to give a little extra context, my, uh, my client at this time was a truck driver. He had been there for about 20 years, and part of his job involved traveling across the Canada-U.S. border to deliver you know, various goods. And one day while he was crossing the border, uh, Border Patrol or whomever was, was on duty at that time noticed that there was a, a relatively large quantity of drugs, uh, marijuana, in his, uh, on his passenger seat. And he was immediately stopped. He was charged with possession. He was prevented from traveling across the border, and his employer was called and, and informed of the situation. The following day, he goes into his employment uh, or his office, his work office, and he speaks with his boss. And his boss says, "You know what? The, what the heck is going on here? What is this yeah. I'm hearing about you getting stopped at the border?" And he answers, "Well." I guess I have a problem. I've got an addiction and it seems like that's now spilt over into the workplace. His employer, his boss immediately says, well, we're going to fire you for just cause. But if you sign this agreement and you say you resign, we'll give you two weeks. He comes to me thinking he's dead to rights, has no shot at all in, in getting any severance. And I explained to him that because he disclosed the fact that he had this you know, quote unquote problem, this addiction, um, that almost automatically triggered his employer's rights to try and accommodate that addiction or at least give some effort toward doing that before simply jumping the gun and terminating him for just cause or you know giving him this deal of you know we'll give you two weeks if you resign which itself was a little bit in bad faith it was a very vulnerable situation and that played a role in ultimately what happened in this case but as a result of all of this, we were in fact able to get this man quite a significant amount of severance and on top of that, some additional compensation um, further to the human rights concerns that we had. So it's, it's sort of a word of warning for employers. I know it can be very difficult to sort of put yourself in that situation and, and you might have this knee-jerk reaction of wanting to immediately fire that person and, and there may be some line of logic to that. But in this province of Ontario, at least, you know, there's there's a lot of protection afforded to people with disabilities. And it was just a situation where, as I say, the employer jumped the gun and found themselves in a lot of hot water when maybe they could have themselves contacted a lawyer beforehand before sort of saying these are your options, Um, because had they done that. You know, they very likely would have been told, well, you know, let's see what we can do. Maybe we can put this guy through a course, you know, some sort of rehab program, you know, work with him. And if it still is an issue later on, you might have some more options there. But to do what they did was, um, you know, too hasty and, uh, as I say, ultimately exposed them to a lot of a lot of issues. Going
1: to move on to our uh, topic of the day, probably at least one of them. And maybe some emails. That is help at employmentlawyer.ca. What you need to know about employment agreements. This could, uh, you know, maybe with a marriage license, could be the uh, second, maybe first important <laughs> document you ever signed in your life. Not in a mortgage, but uh, either way, it's 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 super important stuff. So you got to be your, you got to have your head clear. You got to know about what you're doing. So we'll talk about a few of these these points, Chris. Number one, why are the why are they so important? Like I just said,
2: yeah, employment agreements are extremely important. You know, we we spend a lot of time at work. Um, for some more than others, but for the most part, a lot of us are spending a very good chunk of our day at work. And so the employment agreement that you sign, the contract that you have with your company um, is potentially going to be extremely important, as I say. Um, This is essentially the document or the agreement that would govern or or tell you what you can and cannot do within the workplace. Um, And so not only does it actually govern what you can or cannot do, Um, it's a document that can be with you for a very, very long time. Um, And, you know, you may be held to a number of things in this document. So I think it's very important if you're an employee and you've been presented with an employment agreement, um, you have to be very choosy or picky. You know, you have to be very detailed, I think, when you go through it, because you never know, you know, several years down the line what could happen. So um, it's important for all those reasons. And a lot of people might think, well, you know, let's just sign on the dotted line and move on from this. But then that's going to uh, probably create a whole host of issues later on down the road.
1: Number two, what's better? And this will surprise a lot of people, unless those who have been listening to the show for many years are going to shake their head and go, yeah, I know that already. But what's better, a handshake deal or a nice fat 10, 15-page document upon uh, upon uh, employment?
2: Yeah. So, so in my line of practice, I get a lot of people who call in and they say to me, you know, Chris, I've got this contract. It's a very sort of flimsy contract, very brief. Maybe it's a page, maybe it's a few paragraphs. And they're, they're talking to me about wanting the company to just add in a bunch more detail, a bunch more language. But in actuality, for the most part, a handshake is probably going to be a lot better than a 10 or 20 or 30 page document. Because while you may think that more details could be better, and certainly in some sense it could be in terms of maybe like your job description, for example, getting a good idea of what it is you're expected to do um, for the most part, having a 10 or 20 or 30 page, like long lengthy type document is going to be much less favorable uh, to you than simply a handshake because There's going to be a bunch more fine print. There's going to be a lot of language in there that you may not understand. And there could definitely be some clauses in there that would affect you uh, very negatively uh, down the road in ways that just wouldn't be existing if it was just simply a handshake. Um, You know, I mentioned the termination clause uh, before in terms of restricting people's rights. That could be one example. Um, But, you know, that type of a lengthy agreement will likely take some of your rights away or entitlements away and at the same time give your employer a lot more power. So I guess it depends who we're talking about as far as what's better, an employer or an employee, but certainly for employees uh, in a lot of these cases, a simple handshake is going to be doing you a lot more favors than, than the other.
1: Again, I guess it, it's just that thinking, right? Of you, you feel just automatically like you don't have your, your rear end covered. If you're going in with a handshake, you don't have this big fat document mm. you can keep in your filing cabinet at home. You're like, that that's the way things work. You know, I right. buy a car, I want the paperwork, you know, a mortgage, I want all the paperwork. I want to make sure I'm lock, stock, and barrel covered, but uh, yeah, when right. it comes to employment, yeah, man, good, high five, start Monday, you're perfect. I mean, that's just, that's so much better, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, every time I talk to an employee who has been at a company for a very long time, oftentimes that is the case, that there yeah. there isn't any contract, or if there is, there's something that was drafted back in the 90s, and you know, it's probably going to have very little to no effect uh, in current times. Now, more recently, we're getting, you know, a lot more complicated contracts. I think it's becoming a bit more usual for there to be some sort of a contract in place, whereas before, maybe not so much. Um, and I think that's all the more reason why we need to be extra careful what it is we're signing and, and you know, reviewing everything in full before we, we do that, because we don't want to misunderstand anything.
1: And again, contrary to what employers, they want to have that nice, robust contract ready to go. Drafted by you guys, by the way, you can get Chris and his team to do that. So we will continue our chat about what you need to know about employment agreements. That is coming up as we continue the Employment Law Show.
0: Yeah, yeah, back at it. Uh, Chris Justice is your guy,
1: Sam to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Chris, always there when the show is uh, not on to answer your calls privately, have a conversation, help you out with whatever employment law matters that you need, employee or employer, doesn't matter. Reach out anytime, one 855 821 is the number. You want to reach out through email, you can do that, Help. At employmentlawyer.ca, there's also a website that is built uh, just for you. It's free, it's anonymous, and it's got all kinds of employment law information tips there as well. There's questions to be asked, you could do that. There's reach out, there's contact. There's also the severance pay calculator rolled into pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, free and anonymous, so you can use that any time. We're going to get back to our, uh, our topic, or at least our first topic for the show today. That is what you need to know about employment agreements. Paul, thanks for hanging on for a moment, fella. How are you? Good morning, thank you.
3: Thank you, you my call. Yeah, man, what's up? Yeah, so I got an issue. I, uh, I signed up with an 8-track uh, company. They came by the house and signed me up for uh, maintenance on my on my home. I got a humidifier, some cameras, and that's uh, thermostat. Anyway, so I'm paying like $55 a month. The problem is the company closed down, and they're not servicing it anymore. So what they did is they sent my contract over to the finance company, and asking to continue to take payment, but they're not sending anybody to service the products that I took from them. So I want to get out of this contract. And once I renewed my mortgage, I realized I had a lien on my property for the equipment that they sold me. So I was just wondering, like, what's the next step to get out of this contract? And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm in a bit of a jam because nobody get a hold of and nobody's servicing my company, servicing my home, but they continue to withdraw the, you know, $55 a month. So I put a hold on the auto withdrawal for the last two months or so, and I continue to reach out for them to send the guy over and uh, nobody's responding. So I want to know what the next step is, especially to get that lien off my property.
2: Okay. Well, thank you for the question. I, I will start by just saying that this isn't technically a question related to employment law. so. I'll, I'll probably only be of limited help to you, but the first thing you'll have to look at is the contract or the terms of agreement that you had with that service provider because if you've agreed to accept a service and that service is not being provided for and you've agreed to pay right. for that service, then it's clearly the case that you know things are only going one way. So it seems right. to me like you would have a viable argument to say that there's been therefore a breach of the agreement that you had Uh, which would give you grounds to keep the money, um, you know, those auto payments that you're saying you're having to pay um, uh, as a result of the lack of service being provided at the very least. And there may actually be some areas in the contract or the deal that you signed with the company that may uh, speak to what happens in this type of a situation or uh, that may also speak to what your full options are, you know, whether you can sort of cancel the contract, whether you can get a refund, um, so I would right. I would definitely need to, or at least a lawyer would have to look at that contract in full detail to see what your full rights and options are, um, but basically okay. go from there because, yeah, just in general, it doesn't seem… Uh, fair for them to continue docking you this pay but not giving you this service that you agreed to. Um, I I can't probably give you more specific advice than that at this time but maybe what you can do is you can give me a call specifically and if I can help you out then I'm more than happy to do so and if not then I'm sure I can refer you to someone who may be able to give you some more help.
3: Amazing, okay great, thanks for your help I we'll definitely uh, move forward with this. I'm going to continue to reach out to them, see how they react. Uh, It's only been two months, I'm going to continue sending all my emails and and uh, if not, I'll definitely give you
2: guys a call. Okay. Yeah, and thanks make make help. a record of it. Make a record of it. Definitely keep a track of everything, just because later on you never know how much help that can be, and it'll give uh, some context to what's been going on. Understood. Okay, thanks for help. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. No problem.
1: You bet. Thanks, Polly Appreciate that. And that number that Chris is talking about, you want to reach out to, do so. You probably already wrote it down, but just in case for you everybody else, 1-855-821-5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca back into our topic of the day what you need to know about employment agreements always lots of stuff to cover here pal um what should if you're going to sign an employment agreement it's in front of you a new job you're excited i mean you're, you're going to look at the holidays you're going to look at your pay maybe a couple other things going to for everybody generally are right. going to be top of mind right but what should employees really watch out for when signing those uh those new agreements or one even mid-employment i guess
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, things like your salary your wages, your vacation, your benefits, you know, certain other aspects of your compensation or remuneration, uh, your job search, uh, sorry, your job description. These are all things people are going to probably look at. And these are all things that are definitely very important to understand and, and uh, you know, obviously know what you're signing up for, but there are other uh, aspects of contracts, other terms in contracts that I would say are at least just as important uh, as those Uh, we've, Briefly mentioned termination clauses and how uh, those clauses are usually designed to limit the amount of severance that you would get in the event of a termination. Uh, not a lot of people may think of this at the time they're signing agreement. Oh, what am I going to get on the way out? Um, so that's definitely one thing to keep in mind, and and one of the things that you know, myself as a lawyer am often involved with the most in in trying to get around these types of clauses or interpret these clauses in ways that benefit my clients. So the termination clause for sure is at the top of the list as well. Um, there could also be some language in a contract that allows your employer to change the terms of your employment. You know, a lot of times I see language to the effect of, um, you know, we uh, reserve the right to change your, your job or your pay or your location or, you know, whatever it is uh, without any notice to you. And people need to be aware of this, because at the very least, what I tell people is that if your company is going to make a significant change potentially to your job, you, of course, want to be given as much notice ahead of time of that happening as possible. And for your employer to simply spring a change like that on you in very short or no notice at all, you know, that's going to be a huge problem and may actually entitle you to some severance. But if you've got a contract that has certain language in there that may allow them to do that to some extent that's going to be another problem down the line. So that's, that's definitely another example. Um, There's a, there's a third example uh, which has to do with non-competition clauses. Mm -hmm. Now, actually in Ontario, as of October of last year, these clauses were banned um, and they were banned um, partly or, or completely for the reason that, they put a restraint on someone's ability, of course, to go out and find work after they leave an a employment yeah. situation. You know, you can't compete with any of our competitors within, you know, the planet earth. And, and all of a sudden, you know, 99% of their opportunities are, are sort of gotten rid of. So uh, th- there's a lot of reluctance, first of all, historically for courts to enforce these types of clauses. But I think that's ultimately what led to uh, this ban. But having said that, there's some recent case law that's come out this year, which says if you signed a non-competition agreement before the ban took effect, um, it may arguably still have effect. So right. if you're an employee who has something, say, signed in 2020 and you're wondering, well, you know, am I prevented from looking for work if I get let go as a result of this non-compete clause? You know, that, That's still a question up for debate. I won't say it's for sure you are. Uh, prevented because, again, courts don't like these and it'll kind of come down to how reasonable the clause is. But nonetheless, non-compete clauses, um, at least up until October, uh, have been a very important thing to look at as well. And I just think in general, you know, again, you want to make sure you understand everything in the contract. You don't want to sign a contract too hastily. You need to understand what it means. And if you don't know what it means or you're unsure as to what it means, then you give a lawyer a call and you make sure. Because, you know, again, going into uh, employment relationships, everyone's optimistic, full of hope, and they rarely think of sort of what could happen, you know, in in the case of a termination or this or that or the other. So going into the situation as fully informed as possible is, of course, always the best advice there.
1: Do you have any negotiation power when it comes to things you may not like before signing that agreement, like a non-competition, or they want to be able to, the, you know, the the right to reduce your pay or put you on temporary layoff or move your work location? There could be a whole bag full of things you don't like. Can you negotiate right. some of it out?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, the non-comp, you you might just be able to simply refer to the ban and, and get yeah. that nixed completely. But uh, yeah, I know people come to me a lot and say, you know, Chris, I've, I've got this contract I'm not entirely happy with it. I'd like this improved. I'd like that improved. You know, this isn't really good for me. I want this taken out. And, you know, they ask me, you know, what what kind of ability do I have to negotiate? And the reality is that, you know, a lot of people will have that ability to negotiate. You shouldn't assume that you should just accept what's being given to you. Um, You know, if you want to maybe increase the pay based on industry standards or your worth to the company or, you know, whatever it is that you want I definitely don't think it can hurt. And at the end of the day as well, you need to realize that you've been selected for a certain reason. A lot of people have been offered jobs or are offered jobs because they were the most successful candidate of the bunch that were interviewed. So there's got to be some reason why your employer chose you. And a lot of times you can use that as leverage to, you know, better negotiate some terms. Now, are you going to go in and have a list, a laundry list of 20 demands that you want and not back down at all from any of them and, and expect to get all of that? <laughs> yeah, not likely. But if we're talking about a few things, um, then I definitely think it's possible. It may actually make sense to have, you know, five or six things, knowing that only three or three things you want, and then you can sort of concede on, you know, items four five and six to try to get those, those more important items you have. So there's, there's a little bit of, a strategy maybe involved there, but definitely negotiations are possible. A lot of times I see people negotiate contracts in a, in a more positive fashion. So, um, you know, that's probably my two cents on that question.
1: Let's get a call in here before we break. Paul, thanks for standing by. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? Beauty, what's on your mind? Um,
4: just a couple of questions for you guys. Um, specifically, I I realize that, um, you know, you're allowed to, uh, your employer's allowed to, uh, have you work up to forty eight hours per week as long as they compensate you for that eight hours of time and a half? That's okay. Our company's done that a couple of times. Um, it sucks, but it's okay. Uh, but um, coming up on the twenty ninth next week, they have put before the long weekend an unpaid day off. Um, I just, I'd, I'd like to know if if that's legal or not. I, I really don't know, and I certainly don't want to get anybody in trouble. But I'd like to know why I'm not going to get a, pay, a day off before the long weekend, but I'm going to get it unpaid unless I take vacation to cover that eight-hour shift. Uh,
2: just a quick question. Were you told specifically why they were not going to pay you for that day?
4: It was, a notif- uh, it was just a notification with our normal uh, long weekend day for the Civic Long Weekend, which we get paid for the Monday. <clears throat> I don't remember seeing anything specifically why, The only reason I can think of is maybe it's a little bit slower. Maybe, you know, they don't want to have the overhead to pay when we're not making that many sales, which, but again, it's, it's more of a, I just want to know because I don't want anything to come back on my company because they're a fair company and a good company. But I also don't want to have to burn a vacation day because I can't afford to take a day off and, and not get paid.
2: So, well, Well, I think in general, um, if you're not agreeable to something like this and there's nothing in any contract you signed that says they have the inherent right to do this or the contractual right to do this, I think it's well within your means to object to that, say that that's not something you want, that you want to work that day, you want to get paid. Uh, it, It seems like maybe what's happening is they're arbitrarily changing the terms of your employment. They're just choosing not to pay you and others for a certain day. And you know, whether that's due to the you know, possible recession or the economy or, or some issue there, I don't think that necessarily justifies a company in, in you know, not paying someone, just as much as I don't think a company is justified in laying somebody off due to a recession and not paying them. So um, it seems like what you're saying could very well be a breach of your contract or a breach of the terms that you had with them. Um, but the question I guess is if they do insist or ultimately take that day off of your pay you know what are your rights because you know it, it may be much more difficult of course to allege that they've essentially terminated your employment just by virtue of having one day be unpaid versus if there were several more days so I think while it seems like it's a technical breach does it or would it allow you to use this as a way to get out and get severance that's going to be an uphill battle but I think you just need to get them to explain why it is they're doing this, maybe have them put it in writing, Uh, certainly object if if that's the case. And if they still continue to to do this or insist you take this day off, it might be best for you to give me a shout. I I don't want you to sort of agree to this and then have that set the tone for the future later on, because then that could give your employer maybe carte blanche to do a lot more worse things to you.
1: Paul, appreciate the call. You want to reach out to Chris. we got to let you go and move on to another break and more content, but you can do that anytime. time, Paul. Get a hold of Chris, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue the Employment Law Show after a short break.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Chris Justice is here uh, today, courtesy Mark and LLP,
1: the most positively reviewed Law firm in the country answering all your questions uh, about employment law and all the uh, tangled web that we weave when it comes to this particular topic. You can reach out to Chris if you want any anytime 18558. Two one fifty nine hundred help at employmentlawyer.ca. We were uh, before the last call in the break, Chris, talking about things you need to know about employment agreements. We talked about uh, signing that agreement. Can you negotiate some of the things you may not like in there? So now we'll fast forward to the point where you've signed the employment agreement without advice. Just heard the show. You're panicking. Now what?
2: Right, right. So a lot of people think that because they didn't get any advice, any legal advice before signing a contract, that it's therefore unenforceable, that it's just going to be set aside. And, you know, whatever worries they had about any language in that contract, no worries at all. But that's, for the most part, incorrect. Um, If you've signed a contract, regardless of whether you received advice, you're very likely going to have to live with that contract. And that's also why I go back to it being so crucial to understand, you know, what it is you're signing, you know, what it is you're being asked to sign rather than sort of coming to that at a later point in time. You know, it's better it's better not to have a fire in the first place than, wow. than have to go and put it out later. Um, I mean, there certainly are cases where... Uh, you know, you've signed something and it will get set aside. Like one example would be if, and not to say this happens uh, at all or very frequently at all, but one example would be you're, you're in a room, you're told to sign a contract, you're told to sign the contract right there and then. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure being put on you. Yep. You're not really given any time to even seek legal advice, even if you wanted it. And you just sign it literally the, the second or a few minutes after getting it and, and you go on your way. Now, Again, I'm not going to say that you're 100% in the clear here, but clearly there are some uh, exceptions where a lot of duress and pressure and and that kind of stuff can can be placed on somebody, but that's also why a lot of companies, you know, of course they're not for the most part stupid, they'll they'll give somebody usually a week or two to sign it. They'll have some section in the contract that says that, you know, the person who's signing it has had the opportunity at least to get independent legal advice, even if they right. haven't gotten it, they've at least had the opportunity. And so that's that's something you, you'll see a lot in these new contracts. But um, in general, you know, that's never really a good argument to to make or rely on. So, again, you want to make sure you're, you know what you're getting into.
1: How about for those who are already working and then maybe the, uh, the boss heard our program, figured, okay, I got a guy mm-hmm. who's been here for 10 years, 25 years, two months, and now I'm going to right. have him sign this new contract. A, does that person have to sign it? And B, should they not get something for signing it to make it kind of legally binding? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was going to say the, the question would be what benefits are going both ways, right? right? So if if you're mid-employment and you're being presented with a contract, first of all, why is your company having you sign this contract? Are they simply having you sign a contract that confirms what's already been in place for several years and they were just lazy or you know not on the ball to get you to sign the paperwork earlier? Because that would be a very different situation and I would be very hesitant to sign something like that. Um, On the other hand, if you are, let's say, being promoted into a new role and the company wants you to sign a contract, and and maybe that contract looks a lot different than the first contract you signed, but you're being promoted, you're getting more pay, you're getting some incentives, and and there's now sort of a benefit potentially going both your way and the company's way, then if you sign a contract like that, there's a very good chance or much higher chance that that is going to be enforceable. Um, but there's also still uh, you know, the advice that you should be speaking to a lawyer either way. You know, anytime you're presented with some kind of a document or contract to sign, regardless of what's in there, and even if you're getting a benefit or not, um, you need to speak to a lawyer because in the, situ- in the example I just gave about the promotion, you might think, oh, great, you know, they're bumping my pay from fifty to $70,000. I'll just sign it. This is awesome. But then you, they slip in a little termination clause there that wasn't in your first contract, and you know, you might get the benefits or reap the benefits early on, but then five years down the road when they let you go, you're now only looking at what your bare minimum severance entitlements right. are because you've got this, you know, ironclad contract now in place that had you not signed maybe under the old contract, you would have got four times as much severance. So yeah. You just you just want to be careful, of course, if you're an employee in those scenarios.
1: That's good. Brian on the line. Brian, thanks for standing by how are you, pal?
2: Good morning. How are you doing?
1: Good, what's up?
5: Good, good. Um, so I'm having uh, quite a few issues in my workplace. Okay. So it started with a, uh, a write-up towards me. That was all character-based write-up, nothing to do with my work. Life. Okay. So it was all, it's kinda, the boss kinda had something against me for some reason. And it was a, a kind of a, a show of
2: power. So, so when you were written up, when you were written up, and they were mentioning all these character-based critiques or comments uh, to you, uh, did you uh, did you respond to that in writing or in some way to sort of push back?
5: Oh yes, what I did is uh, I contacted
2: HR. Okay, and you you told HR what your response was specifically to that write up.
5: Yes, and then I've been having meetings with HR on and off. Finally, had another meeting. And there's a lot going on because there's a lot of nepotism within the place. Right. So there's a lot of family members that work there that get favored, that get paid not to be there, um, that get higher raises. It's really, it's, it's created a toxic environment where a lot of the staff has recently left.
2: Okay. And, and so this back and forth with HR, um, is, has HR accepted uh, your, your pushback or your response to that criticism? Are they trying to work with you or are they essentially taking the position that your boss took or, or whoever wrote you up?
5: In, in a roundabout way, HR dealt with my situation, did an investigation, and then just wants to put things behind. It's like moving forward, this will no longer happen. Moving forward, this will no longer happen. But there's been more than there's been name calling, uh, ridiculed, uh, things totally unprofessional. I I was actually called a name in front of a job.
2: Okay, well, it seems like uh, while there may have been some efforts to resolve the issue between you and let's say whoever wrote you up or you and those within the company that there still seems to be persistent issues, like you say, name-calling, ridiculing, unprofessionalism, uh, perhaps harassment. It may be the case that for you, the work environment has now become toxic or or has been toxic, and you're wondering what your options are, or, or did you have a different question?
5: Yeah, because it's become so toxic. What happened was I brought up the fact of Family members being paid not to be at work. I brought up the nepotism. And then mm-hmm. it was turned around. I was written up. I was in the wrong. I created a toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. not only and not only myself, other employees have seen it. Like a head of another department left. They quit as well. Okay. And since the, in the past four mm-hmm. months, it's not a very large staff, about 10 people. Four have left. Four or five, oh. actually. Another one just resigned this week.
2: And and have you spoken to anyone or filed any complaints specifically about the name calling and ridiculing and all that type of stuff?
5: Oh yes, I did with HR.
2: And okay. and they're just sort of trying to brush it under the rug.
5: <laughs> yep, and just saying moving forward, moving forward. And my last emails with HR because I refuse to have phone calls. I want everything emailed, everything documented. Um, My last meeting was moving forward. once again, like I have copies of all emails, all HR responses. And what I've said is it's been a talk. It's created a toxic environment where I'm not comfortable at work and I'm not safe. And there's been so many, things that have happened that I, I can't go into the workplace.
2: And they just simply disagree is what you're saying with your characterization of the workplace.
5: Yeah. And now they're offering me a, uh, a leave and things like that, but not covered through the company, whereas my stress and anxiety and everything is a direct cause of my, 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 uh, my boss.
2: Right, right. So so what you're sort of describing at least sort of can suggest that, as I said before, there's this poisoned work environment. Um, generally speaking, your, your employer has to have the environment be healthy and safe and, and all that kind of stuff. So anytime there's a poison work environment, arguably, you could as an employee say, well, this isn't what I signed up for. You have to keep the employment sort of environment healthy health, you know, and safe for all. And that's not what's been happening. I've been presenting multiple complaints, which I've recorded. Nothing's been done. And so now I'm at a point where it's almost like I'm forced to leave or go off on some kind of a medical leave of absence or stress leave as a result of all of this. And what you may be looking at is a potential constructive dismissal, which in the eyes of the law is essentially a termination. Um, however, before I you know, say to you, you know, tell them you're quitting or do this or do that, I definitely would want you to give us a call. Uh, like you say, it seems like there's a lot of issues going on and you want to be careful kind of what you communicate and what you say before simply just leaving uh, and then just putting all your eggs in that basket of hoping you get this huge severance payout. But definitely give me a shout and I'll see what I can do to help.
1: Thank you, Brian. going to let you go. Here is that number to reach Chris as we get into one final break. Before we continue, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred 855 821 5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. More Employment Law Show is on the way. Stand by.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.
1: Alrighty, last few minutes of the show. Thank you so much for sticking around today. I want to remind you, you can reach out to Chris Justice anytime when we're done for a further conversation and talk about your plight when it comes to dealing with your Employer, if you have one, one one eight five five eight two That is help at employmentlawyer.ca. I want to get to a couple emails here in the last few minutes. Uh, Chris Tiffany first up says, uh, hey, guys, uh, question. I quit my job in the heat of the moment. After calming down, I tried to go back to work a few days later, but they refused to have me back, insisting that they had accepted my quote-unquote resignation and that no termination pay was owed. Am I owed severance?
2: Yeah, so in this case, there's a very, very high chance that you are owed severance. Um, I've definitely had situations in the past happen where, uh, or my clients anyways, have had situations where they have left the job in the heat of the moment. You know, there's been some blow up with the boss. Uh, Maybe they take a bunch of their personal belongings and they just leave the office. They just jet out of there. And maybe they say they're quitting, maybe they don't say they're quitting, but the company essentially takes that as a resignation. Um, and then, um, you know, in Tiffany's case, she's coming back a few days later, maybe after having cooled down, um, maybe coming in sort of to apologize for some things that it might have been said and stating that she's ready to go back to work. You know, hopefully we can just get back to think, uh, how things were. Um, But in Tiffany's case, it seems like the employer said, nope, too bad, so sad, it's too late, you've already quit, and we're accepting your resignation, and we're not paying you a dime. Well, Mm -hmm. in in that type of a scenario, as I say, there's a very good chance that Tiffany would be owed severance. Um, Usually, one thing the employer would have to show in these types of scenarios would be, you know, in that time that she was away from work, uh, or maybe in this cooling off period, that the employer themselves had, you know, taken a lot of steps to replace her, or already had replaced her. So I think it's there's a big difference between someone coming back a few days later and someone coming back six months later and saying, "Hey, let me let me come back to work," because there's obviously a much higher likelihood that that company is already going to replace you, and for them to have you come back, it's going to be that much bigger of a burden. But where there is no burden, or where there's a very little burden, and it would just be an inconvenience to the employer in this type of a scenario most often um, there's going to be expectation for that employer to have that employee come back. And if if the employer is going to try to treat this as a way of getting out and avoiding their severance obligations, um, especially if there's been no real inconvenience done um, and no burden there, that could arguably also be looked at in bad faith. Um, I also think it depends on on how heated it gets and what is said or what's done. Um, You know, I'm assuming that maybe there's just some uh, colorful language exchanged or, or some shouting that may have happened. And, and that prior to that, there was no real disciplinary issues or anything like that. Um, so it, it often does as it always usually does come down to the facts of each particular case. But in, in Tiffany's case specifically, I would say there's, there's that high likelihood of getting severance. So you want to definitely get in touch with a lawyer, give us a call, if you've been there for a long time, it could be extremely significant severance entitlements. And um, yeah, as I say, it's unfortunate that the employers sometimes take this approach, but likely they just could be trying to get away with uh, avoiding paying a long service employee you know, what they would be otherwise owed.
1: And with that, we are done like dinner. You want to reach out to Chris uh, now that we're through for the show for this particular day, you can do so. Don't hesitate. Just have a conversation. Simple, right? 1-877, pardon me, 1-855-821-5900, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And you know that website by now. It also contains the severance pay calculator, handy and free and anonymous. That would be pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time in the Employment Law Show.